Hello, and welcome to this week's episode of the Sheridan Scoreboard, a division of the Sheridan Sun podcast bringing you the latest sports news. I'm Gabby Estevez. And I'm TJ Deer. On this week's episode, we'll go over the Bruins' results from last weekend, and we'll also go over the biggest pro sports news around the world. In light of J-Bo Meester's collapse last week, this week's hot topic is heart-related issues in professional athletics. Gabby and I talk with Dr. Paul Dorian, who's a cardiac electrophysiologist at St. Mike's Hospital and is also the department director of the cardiology division at UFT. He filled us in on cardiac episodes and sports, and he also explained the procedure that Bo Meester recently had. And without further ado, let's jump straight into the action. We kick things off with the Bruins volleyball teams. The men's and women's teams played their final games of the regular season on Saturday evening at home against St. Clair Saints. Both teams saluted their senior players who were playing their final regular season games for the double blue. The women's team played first but were unable to pull off an upset. The Bruins lost 3-0 with no Bruins scoring double digits in points. Carrie Matthews picked up a game-high 14 digs on defense but otherwise the Bruins were outclassed by St. Clair. The women's team finished the regular season in 7th place in the West Division and will travel to Durham for their crossover match. The men's team, however, managed to pull off a 3-1 win. Despite losing the first set, Marcus Amadzai and Liam Bacheret were the Bruins' leading scorers, scoring 20 and 19 points respectively. Pratik Shetty picked up a game-high 16 digs on the fence. The men's team finished in 8th place in the OCAA West Division which was unfortunately not enough for them to qualify for the OCAA playoffs this year. The Bruins basketball teams were on the road this weekend, starting off with matchups against St. Clair and Windsor. The women's team lost 73-60 thanks to a big third quarter from St. Clair, where they outscored the Bruins 26-16. Teresa Brown achieved a double-double, scoring a game-high 21 points and picking up 12 rebounds for the double blue, but it wasn't enough to get the win. The men's team didn't fare much better, with the Bruins losing 110-96. to the Bruins' all-time leading scorer, Nick Campbell, fell one rebound shy of a double-double, scoring a team-high 27 points and picking up nine rebounds. Jamal Edwards scored 21 points, but the Bruins could not get over the line. The weekend would not get better for the Bruins when they faced Lambton on Sunday. The women's team were heavily beaten by the Lions, 73-43. Teresa Brown was the only Bruin to score double digits in points, picking up 11. Camilla Orellana Larrick picked up a team-high nine rebounds off the bench, but the Bruins were outplayed for most of the match. The men's team also lost to Lambton, losing 117-104. to Jamal Edwards scored 28 points, and three Bruins players fell just short of picking up double-doubles. The Bruins only outscored Lambton in the fourth quarter, but the damage was done at that point. The women's team is currently in sixth place in the OCAA West Division, and the men's team is in fourth place in the West. Both teams play Humber on the road in their final regular season game tonight in the latest edition of the game. The women's tip-off starts at 6 p.m. and the men's game gets underway at 8 p.m. If you can't make it to Humber, you can watch the rivalry matches on the Sheridan Bruins website by heading to the media section and choosing live. That's it for your Bruins recap. When we come back, we'll take a look at the latest pro sports news from around the world. And now for hockey news, what is what is going on there? So uh, the biggest news coming out of Leafland, um, Leafs forward Andreas Janssen is expected to miss six months uh, after 
uh, after being hurt in the game last week against Dallas when they lost 3-2, he um, awkwardly co- collided with one of his team with, with one of his teammates, Kasperi Kapanen, um, and so his knee was busted. So he's done for the year, um, which is interesting because uh, the Leafs were rumored to have been put to have put him on the trading block with the trade deadline approaching this um, this Monday. Um, he was r- being rumored as one of the players the Leafs might move to uh, on trade deadline day or before that. Um, so it's interesting. And he's one of their better depth players. You know, you see guys like your Austin Matthews, Mitch Marner, William Nylander. He was one of the guys who was providing secondary scoring. So this mm-hmm. is a big loss for the Leafs. So like six months, I, I don't know anything about hockey. How long mm-hmm. is a usual hockey season? Well, it starts, the preseason starts in September and the regular season gets underway in October. So... And then... By the time playoffs come and all that, like regular season is how long? But w- without counting the playoffs, and, you know. Regular season is from October to April, so that's seven. Um, yeah, that's seven months. So, you know, by the time the Stanley Cup is won, it's mid June. So, March, April, May, June, he's done for the year, so, even if the Leafs make the final. So he'll be back for next year, though. Yeah, he's he'll be back for next year, but um, yeah, this is a big blow for the Leafs. Oh yeah. Yeah, and they actually traded. Um, they actually traded someone. They actually traded Mason Marchment um, to try and cover up the loss of Janssen. Um, they actually traded Mason Marchment to the Panthers for Dennis Malgin, um, who's collected four goals and 12 points in 36 games this year for the Panthers. So um, a depth trade is sort of a necessary trade, given that they have depth issues now all of a sudden. Um, but uh, yeah. I mean, there have been a lot of trades being made before deadline day. Usually what happens is teams, you know, they sort of, I don't want to say they wait till the last minute, but they sort of take their time to make trades with some of like the biggest trading pieces on the block. Uh, but a, but this year, a lot of them are being made before the deadline. Um, and I really And I really can't figure out why that is this year all of a sudden. I don't know. It's been a weird year in it's, sports, man. It's been a weird year, every, yeah, everywhere, like you said. Um, I mean, it's I don't know what's going on. The Kings trading uh, Alec Martinez to the Golden Knights for a pair of second rounders. The Montreal Canadiens trading uh, Marco Scandella to the St. Louis Blues for uh, for two picks, a second rounder and a fourth rounder. Um, the Sharks trading Brendan Dillon to the Washington Capitals for a second and a third round pick. Um, the Sens shipping Dylan DeMello to the Jets for a third rounder. I mean, these are all happening before the deadline day. It's a weird trend that's going on this year. And what happens is a lot of these like big networks like TSN, they have all day coverage on trade deadline day. So this upcoming Monday, they'll all have their sort of deadline day coverage from like 8 a.m. to like 5 p.m. They'll be on the air nonstop. So it sort of begs the question, what are they gonna do to fill the time? Yeah. It's. I mean, they usually get. They might like just recap everything. Yeah, they they do generally recap everything regardless. But um, usually, what happens is they sort of fill the time with like really funny skits or shenanigans. So they'll have to really do a lot of that this year. But uh, I mean, luckily, trade deadline is coming on reading week for us. So uh, Monday morning, I'm up at 7 a.m. tuning in, watching TV all day. I'll be in Punta Cana. Hopefully. Oh. Hopefully they have something. I mean, no, I'll have, like, they have Wi-Fi there in the hotels. Right? Uh, yeah, they usually do. So. We're staying at, like, a, five, a five-star hotel, so I expect the Wi-Fi to be class. What's the place <laughs> called? Uh, Rio Bavaro, okay. maybe? I don't know. Meanwhile, what's happening in the world of basketball, Gabby? Well, it was All-Star Weekend. Interesting. Uh, so it was the All-Star Game. There's this revamped format for the All-Star Game. What did you think of it? I loved 
Really? I loved, like, the, the East versus West game, like Giannis versus LeBron. Yeah. Loved. Really? I thought it was so good. I thought it was entertaining. Mm-hmm. No, like, I usually, like, the like the West, I've, I didn't see last year's All-Star game, but I saw the one from two years ago and the ones from the two years before that. Mm-hmm. And, like, the West was always, like, dominating by, yeah. like, a lot. And this time it was, like, to the wire. Yeah, yeah, it was. I like that whole, like, um, having a set score that you got to reach format. Yeah, because I, w- I was watching it. I was initially skeptical because I thought, you know, just run the clock. You know, just let it be a regular thing. No need to mess with whatever works. But when I was watching it, I was like, man, this is amazing. Because instead, like instead of a clock, there's a set score. And I didn't think it would work, but I was sold right away. The game was amazing. The the dunk contest and the three point contest, like people were talking about it like crazy. Yeah, the dunk contest. I wanted to talk to you about that specifically. That's twice now Aaron Gordon's been robbed. He oh he's been robbed. Like just I, mm. I mean I I sorta of see why he would he would have been Robbed, bamboozled, thieved. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, twenty sixteen, I'll be honest, I didn't think he should have won that one. That's just me. 2016, I, I thought Zach Levine deserved it 100%. I did too. I do too. But this year, he should have won. He, I don't know what the what in the world happened with Dwayne the Dwayne Wade happened. <laughs> really, yeah. Because there was this thing. The judges had this plan to like extend the dunk off to like a few more rounds. But then apparently someone went rogue and people were like denying it. And they're saying, oh, it wasn't me. It wasn't me. Someone else went rogue. But they wouldn't say who. There's like a video that someone posted online of them being like, oh, it, you can tell it's Dwayne Wade because as they're like, you know, like in the world of like live TV, like you have your IFBs on, you only yeah. take your IFB off when you know it's done. Yeah. Dwayne Wade took off his IFB before the scores were even revealed. Oh boy. So people were like, oh, like that's how he knew that it was going to be done. Oh man. Okay. And they like, they show the video in slow motion and in even slower motion. Oh geez. Okay. And he's like not even looking at the score. He's like looking away, and he pulls the IF, he like pulls the IFB out. Oh man, because I was watching that in a bar with some friends, and the entire bar, there was just this collective oh, and then people started booing. People were like, people were cursing, which I won't do now. People were cursing. They were like, you know, yelling all these things. I was like, wow, and I had half a mind to join them, but I was like, I probably shouldn't. Yeah, and the the guy that won, I forgot his name now. Like it's, Derek Jones Jr. Yeah, he's like, I'm the best. I deserve to win. No, you don't, buddy. Sit down. No, you <laughs> you absolutely did not deserve to win. Your dunks are good, but his were better. Yeah, I mean, because I, I I remember when he when Jones when Derek Jones Jr. was dunk was did his dunk from the free throw line. I remember when Zach Levine did his four years ago. He jumped. Whoa. Yeah. So I remember Levine jumped on the line or slightly before the line. So that was big. But this year, Jones's foot was slightly in front of the line when he took off. So I'm like, that's not a dunk from the free throw line. I mean, I mean. And Zach Levine also did the same dunk, but like he windmilled it into he it. He did. Yeah. I mean, he, his had a lot more flair than Derek Jones. And uh, I mean, I get why. I, I get why Levine won in 2016, but Gordon should have won this year. I mean, oh, 100%. Because he, he was, his last dunk was on Taco Fall. So he jumps up on a seven foot guy. Like a guy who's and, seven and foot plus. Some people are like, oh, but it wasn't clean. It doesn't need to be clean. He's seven to, foot tall. Yeah, that's that's big enough. I mean, Taco Fall, he's seven five. Seven. And, and Gordon just got he's him on. A, the, he is almost double my height. I am five. Four. Yeah. 
it's really yeah I mean I mean yeah I mean people were saying oh it wasn't a clean dunk if anything that should have been even that should have counted in Gordon's favor even more because his groin hit the guy's head yeah how much pain do you think he would have been in <laughs> I mean really to dunk on a seven five guy and 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 then hit your then hit your groin on his head I would have given him 11s if I could have and like you know you know the dunk contest was good when people were still talking it after the actual all-star like game like, yeah that was still the top story yeah it was and it still is people are still talking about uh, yeah. it yeah I mean I'm I was so upset I mean really uh, and then there was a uh, the du- the dunk the three-point contest yeah decided at the last shot that was huge I can't remember who won that contest I'm uh buddy healed oh buddy healed yeah so the three-point contest was good buddy healed winning on the last shot so I mean that was I mean that was amazing um and you see him like go for his second last shot and he misses and the commentator's like ah oh, like he missed it like yeah. commentator's kind of like writing him off yeah he gets the, the last and he shot sinks in. it and he wins it I was like oh man like the bar I was at everyone went nuts it was amazing That's to watch. Crazy. Okay, TJ, what's going on in soccer? So the big news is still the fallout from Manchester City's uh, expulsion from the Champions League for the next two years. I saw an article from Agence France Presse um, with former Arsenal manager Arsene Wenger saying that he has little sympathy for Man City over their ban um, because, in his view, they broke the rules and they have to be punished, which I think makes sense. I mean, granted, Man City has filed an appeal with the court of arbitration for sport so i mean we still haven't heard the end of this but i mean cities i mean man city has been allegedly doing some shady deals for a number of years ever since their team was taken over by um by sheikh mansoor in 2008 so it's it this is going to be dragging on for a while though i i mean i don't know exactly i know when it came out, it, they were like, oh, banned from the Champions League for breaching financial fair play rules. But what exactly did they do? Like, spo- I know it's something to do with sponsorships. So basically what happened was Man City were alleged to have falsely inflated their sponsorship revenues to disguise the fact that the team's owner, Sheikh Mansour bin Zayed Al Nahyan, um, was providing most of that income. Um, so they basically inflated sponsorship revenues to sort of cover up the fact that they were being directly financed from uh from uh a shake from from the united arab emirates so it's basically about that um they were also fined actually 30 million euros um as well which is nothing with, for them <laughs> yeah it's, it's again it's going back to we were discussing the astro scandal a few weeks ago they were fined five million us dollars that's a slap on the wrist that's pocket change really yeah and then here it's the exact same thing they were fined 30 million euros which for a club like Manchester City who has some of the world's best players they're the two-time defending Premier League champions and they have you know one of the biggest payrolls I've ever seen in in the history of, of, of they are of the second richest team in all of the world there you go yeah the second richest team 30 million euro fine is nothing for them I yeah. mean so it's 30 million euros is probably what they pay like one of their players like <laughs> a really, month <laughs> really yeah I mean some of the guys on their team like De Bruyne Sergio Aguero Bernardo Silva Bernardo Silva we were talking about a couple of weeks ago um Fernandinho um Americ Laporte um and uh Ederson you know oh Ederson yeah so I mean they've Love got him. some they've got some of the best players in the world and they're fine they're again they're being fine pocket change like you said and the thing is like 
so many teams have been like banned from the Champions League or they've been banned for this and banned for that and the the ban never sticks the second you appeal it it doesn't stick with these big teams yeah I mean they've banned it with the court of arbitration for sports so I mean as of right now the ruling from UEFA was that they were banned but depending on how the appeal goes it's gonna be it's gonna be a big deal even if it sticks, like you know, their players aren't going to want to stay. Yeah, and I actually and not be able to play in the Champions yeah, League. Yeah, there's going to be a mass exodus for a team that won't be playing Champions League. I mean, Pep Guardiola said that he would stick with the team if um, if they do if the ban does stick. So, but I mean, the players would be on. I mean, it's an uncertainty over players. You know, like you said, there's going to be a mass exodus probably. They love the Champions League. It's not even a thing of like getting paid to play in it or just exposure they just love like everyone if you're a soccer fan you love champions the competition of it yeah that's i mean that's a a, that's a big reason of why neymar moved to psg a few years ago so it's the biggest competition in club sport it is yeah it's it's yeah it's pretty big uh and for them to be kicked out i mean this 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 appeal is going to have a massive impact on financial fair play whether it sticks or doesn't if it does stick then financial fair play is not to be taken lightly in other clubs like, say, I don't know, PSG, who also are rumored to have breached um, financial fair play regulations, um, you know, Barcelona, Real Madrid, all these super clubs, they're going to be taking financial fair play much more seriously. But if the appeal is successful, it's going to be a joke. It's not going to mean anything anymore. Mm-hmm. And you know that Man City, like, they're going to walk in with the best lawyers in the world. Like, this doesn't just affect them playing in the Champions League. This affects them buying players in the future, like wanting a player who's like up and coming like with that that guy let's imagine that guy from Dortmund that's doing so well um Holland yeah Erling brought Holland yeah yeah imagine like Man City wanted to buy him they, and they had the money he's like I mean like you're not in the Champions League I don't want to go there yeah and he's doing so well with Dortmund he actually wanted to sign with he didn't want to sign with anyone else allegedly so I mean good he's, for him yeah Man he, City brushed him off and look at him really yeah he's tearing up everybody that he's playing right now he's the big re- he's a big reason why they're still in um, the fight for the Bundesliga, and he's a big reason why they're experiencing such a massive upturn in form uh, in the Champions League. They actually beat PSG on Tuesday, two goals to one in the first leg. So I mean, um, and he scored both goals for for Dortmund against PSG. So and three to one, right? Two one. Two one. Okay. Yeah, I mean, it was at home, but that's still a huge advantage for for Dortmund heading to Paris for the second leg. PSG like that's that's a good team like it is yeah but when you see them lose like you always see them like like tying and losing by like aggregate mm-hmm. or like like that like losing by one goal like you don't really see PSG losing by like, yeah and we that. and we've touched on their issues a couple of weeks ago um, with Neymar and Mbappe and their and their entire list and the club and, and as as a whole Mbappe's a beast mm-hmm. yeah so we've we touched on their issues so I mean it's not like they're it's not like they are going to win the Champions League, I think, but... No, they don't... I don't think they can win the Champions League with the roster they have now. Mm-hmm. Definitely not. But, like, they always make it really far. Yeah. Well, that's the latest from the sports world. When we come back, we'll go into this week's hot sporting topic. This week's hot topic is about heart-related episodes in pro sports. Just over a week ago, St. Louis Blues defenseman Jay Bomeister collapsed on the team bench during a TV timeout in a road game against the Anaheim Ducks. Bomeister was rushed to hospital and was responsive later that night. 
He underwent surgery and was implanted with an implantable cardioverter defibrillator, or ICD. Bowmeister is back in St. Louis, and he's been placed on the injured reserve by the Blues. This isn't the first incident with an NHL player undergoing a cardiac episode on the bench. To try and get a better sense of why this is happening, we are joined by Dr. Paul Dorian, a cardiac electrophysiologist at St. Michael's Hospital and the department director of the cardiology division at the University of Toronto. Paul, thank you for joining us. My pleasure. What do you think causes professional athletes to experience surprise cardiac episodes? Um, The short answer is there are many, many causes, probably at least 10, if not more. In individual athletes, we cannot tell without any testing, which I suspect, you know, if we're talking about any of the athletes that we, you, you refer to in the email, um, uh, you know, the three hockey players, but this is true for other athletes as well. Uh, in the absence of testing, we can't tell. Uh, in the presence of, of testing, uh, we sometimes find maybe half of the time, this is a, some disagreement about the proportion of time, but about half the time we discover a cardiac disease which is known to cause heart rhythm problems. It's what, you know, based on the the news reports, I can say what I want because it's not my patient, so I only know what I read in the papers or seen on the Internet. Um, So half the time we uh, identify a disorder which is known to be associated with serious heart rhythm problems of the kind that Jay Boomeister had. About half the time we find nothing. It doesn't mean there's nothing wrong with the person because it's not normal to drop dead or to have a life-threatening rhythm problem. Uh, But half the time, we just have no clue. It just happens. It's out of the blue. It's mysterious. It's frustrating for the patient. It's frustrating for the doctors. Now, when we talk about what kinds of heart disease cause this problem, it's pretty technical. There's a whole bunch of different ones, and we can talk about it if you want. What kind of diseases do you think were at play here? There's basically two types or two categories. One category is diseases of physical diseases of the heart, what we call structural heart disease. So these may be diseases of heart muscle, where the heart muscle is too thick. That's a heritable condition called hypertrophic cardiomyopathy. There's other diseases where the heart muscle is weak. That's called dilated cardiomyopathy. Then there's another potentially heritable condition, which affects mostly the right-sided heart chambers, called ARVC, or arrhythmogenic right ventricular cardiomyopathy. There are occasionally diseases of heart valves. There can be rarely infections of the heart. There can be problems with the arteries that feed blood to the heart muscle. They can be in the wrong place uh, and get squeezed uh, during um, a physical activity and there no blood will flow. All of these are called structural heart diseases. They're physical things you can see if you look at the heart or if you examine the heart under a microscope or do imaging like ultrasounds or MRIs of the heart. Then there's another category of heart problems, which are electrical diseases, where the heart is physically normal, but it's electrically abnormal. And the other term we use for that set of conditions, it gets pretty technical, is called ion channel disorders. Ion channels are pores in heart muscle cells which allow the flow of salts in and out of the cells. This is normal. Everybody has ion channels. Everybody has these pores. We'd all be, we couldn't survive even 
all animals have them, sea slugs have them, uh, octopuses have them. I mean, it's it's in all vertebrate and non-vertebrate animals have these ion channels, and they control the flow of electricity through the heart. And when these channels are not working properly, it can lead to these electrical problems. Now, intermittently, not, you know, they're not continuously. So do you think this electrical problem is what happened to Jay Bomeister? Without, well, I don't know what disorder he had. He definitely had the, the, any of these conditions, the electrical problem, which you may be born with, or the heart muscle problem, the structural heart disease problem, or the happens out of the blue, we don't know why problem. All of them are de- potentially dangerous because they can lead to the condition which he definitely had, which is called the ventricular fibrillation. And this is a sudden onset of a life-threatening, very rapid, very disorganized beating of the pumping chambers of the heart. That's ventricular fibrillation. When that happens, the individual collapses immediately. And the only way to revive them is with an electrical shock to the heart from a defibrillator, which is what happened to him. It's, it's, so there's no question what happened to him. The question is, why did this happen? Short answer is, I have no clue. The doctors who looked after him may have a clue, but sometimes even after they do all their testing, they don't have a clue. So that's one question we ask ourselves, why? The second question is, why now? Like, why did this happen last week and not five years ago or five years from now? And the short answer is, we have no clue. Is there any way to prevent incidents like this from happening in the future? The short answer is, usually not. It it, it, it's a controversial topic. There are some people who believe that there are certain conditions which if we identified them in an athlete and we stopped them from doing competitive sport, we would reduce the future risk of this kind of event. I think the evidence for that is not very good. So that's one part of the... So the question is, is this predictable? The answer is usually not. Is it preventable? The answer is probably not. As a separate, as, as a separate matter, every professional athlete has annual heart testing, which I'm, I don't know Jay Boomeister personally. I don't know what happened to him individually, but I, can, I know that every NHL athlete gets regularly tested. So it, one would be surprised, I have no inside information here, but I would be very surprised if he had an abnormality and it was ignored because the people who do the testing are pretty knowledgeable and competent. So my guess, but this is a guess to be very clear, is that he did have the testing and he passed the, the tests, if you like. Bowmeister had an ICD implanted in his body. What's the difference between an ICD and a regular pacemaker? They're completely different. So a defibrillator is essentially a miniature version of the same device that was used to rescue him when he collapsed. And an implanted defibrillator is a device that goes under the skin. It's attached to the heart by means of a wire, and it sits there monitoring the heart 24-7. It's got a computer and some batteries. So it doesn't interfere with the heart. It just watches. If the person who's got the implant has a normal heartbeat, the defibrillator does nothing. It just sits there. If the person who has an implant develops 
the life-threatening fast heartbeat, which he undoubtedly had when he collapsed on the bench, the machine then automatically figures it out, and it automatically gives his heart an electrical shock, the same kind of shock that the paramedics or the doctors gave him manually using the external device, but now it's all automated and it's internal. The, uh, these devices are very accurate. They correctly diagnose the problem if it exists 99.5% of the time, and they can fix the problem 995 to 99.9% of the time. It's a very reliable technology. And it works in about 15 to 30 seconds. So how does that differ from a pacemaker? A pacemaker is a looks the same. If, you're, if you look at a pacemaker, just it's in your palm, it kind of looks the same as a defibrillator. But the purpose of a pacemaker is completely different. Pacemakers treat slow heartbeats. Defibrillators treat fast heartbeats. And the technology inside the box is quite different. Given that Bomeister has had this issue and he does have the defibrillator implanted in his body, do you think he'll play in the NHL again or not? My own personal guess is no, but that depends on his team and the doctors and what advice they give him. The, the reason is not... I don't want to be, give you a start with a negative here. The reason that we usually tell patients who are professional athletes uh, in contact sports not to continue their sport is, is, isn't because the sport is dangerous, but because when you play contact sports and you get hit in the chest as part of you know, any um, contact sport and checking, and then the wires that connect the device to the heart can be dislodged, or the pacemaker itself can become damaged with the physical contact. So rugby, soccer, hockey. You can play soccer probably with a defibrillator, but it's a little bit of a problem. The other problem is that hockey players use their arms, and when you swing your arms around, like you take a slap shot, for example, then you're moving your arm very quickly, and that can the, these, the device is uh, in the chest, but it's just under the collarbone and it's close to the shoulder. So with a lot of vigorous arm movement, you can dislodge the wires. So it's not because it's not the heart that's the problem. It's the physical device and its connection to the body that's a problem. And plus, you know, these are it, professional sports very different from amateur sport. When you have an amateur athlete, you tell the athlete, look, there's a chance your device might stop working and, uh, and uh, you know, are you, do you want to continue your sport or not? Those are the kinds of conversations we have with amateur athletes. With pro athletes, it's complicated because now they're employees and they're working for an organization. So the organization has to decide whether the liability, the insurance, they worry about, you know, a problem is worth it for them or not it, because it's a business. Well, this has been really insightful. Thank you so much, Paul. No problem. My pleasure. That was Dr. Paul Dorian of St. Michael's Hospital and the University of Toronto. And that's all the time we have on this episode of the Sheridan Scoreboard. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode. If you'd like to suggest haunt topics for us to discuss, or if you'd like to comment on something else, feel free to email us at SheridanSun at gmail.com. You can also follow the Sheridan Sun on Facebook and Twitter at the Sheridan Sun, as well as on Instagram at the Sheridan Sun News. 
Until next time, I'm TJ Deer. And I'm Gabby Estevez. Thanks for listening.